Have you heard of the Torah coming out of Berlin? We've had exciting guests, rabbis and activists, artists and thinkers, bringing their unique brand of Torah into your living rooms. But we've only begun to scratch the surface. We need more voices, more ideas, more of the leaders and innovators and healers and writers who are filling this city with its soul. For the Torah of Berlin is eclectic. It is different and sometimes strange, but it is brimming with individuality, with hope, with a taste of the world we have yet to build. So come and learn. Welcome to Torah Curious. Hello, and welcome to Torah Curious. I'm your host, Jeremy Borowitz, and I am here with our final member of the Yodusudeh Vorstand, Lars Umansky. Lars, welcome to the podcast. Hi there, thank you. <laughs> uh, Lars, I wonder if you could tell us about your earliest Jewish memory. Honestly, I feel like I've been always like brought up with knowing that I'm Jewish, because my parents would always talk about it, so... <laughs> But the first real memory when I was trying to find out what it actually means that I'm Jewish, yeah. that it's something different, was um, back in my primary school. They handed out like lists um, of like, uh, you know, data about uh, all the pupils of students. Yeah. <laughs> all the students in class and including their um, phone numbers or their parents' phone numbers. Um, their addresses, and for some reason, although this is very untypical, they also put down religion. And huh. of course, I was the only one <laughs> where it said Jewish. Where did you grow up? Uh, in Una, which is a small town next to Dortmund, which uh-huh. is a big town next to Cologne, <laughs> which is in the western part of Germany. Yeah, <laughs> and um, and you were the only Jew in the class. Yeah, I was the only Jewish person in the class. Wow. And, um, yeah, it, it kind of started that, um, let's say some of the students were, were all like six years old and, uh, some of them were already brought up or indoctrinated with, uh, you know, anti-Semitic propaganda. Wow. And that was, and I was of course confronted with this and that was actually the moment I, I knew that I was Jewish before that, but that was the moment when I started to trying to understand that it means I'm probably different right now than everyone else in this class. That's wild. First off, I like, you're not the first person to talk about like the primary school trauma of being listed as Jewish, (laughs) Um, which is like, you'd think Germans and Jews on lists, they would have learned something, but, um, (laughs) um, but I think it's really, um, uh, I mean, there's two things that I think you said, which is really interesting. The first is that these anti-Semitic attitudes already existed. Um, and the second is just this feeling of otherness that I guess you're describing. Like you just felt excluded or different or, yeah. um, did you feel, how did that difference make you feel? At that point, it actually scared me because I didn't even know what it means to be Jewish, right? I was wow. six or seven years old wow. and, um, yeah, probably it was just, just being a bit scared off by this. Do you remember any of the things that the other kids said to you? Actually, there was a girl um, from a Arabic family um, who just sat in front of everyone um, in the schoolyard 
you're Jewish, you're our enemy. Wow. And a lot of other kids actually picked that up and, you know, tried to explain them. I didn't know what it means. Wow. And wow. why I would be an enemy. Wow. Okay. So you're in primary school. You're told you're Jewish. You have, your parents are constantly telling you you're Jewish and you have no idea what that means. When did you start to learn what it means? I think it was a few years, a few years later. Um, so the, in, this time there was a Jewish community, um, developing in Una. Oh, wow. Um, it was not a synagogue yet, but there was some community, um, stuff happening. Like the holidays had been celebrated by a group, um, of Jews and also including my parents and ah, cool. I was there as well. And in 2007, I think it was, when the community was officially established and probably that was also how I started like learning what it, what it actually is to be Jewish. So did you start going to holiday celebrations? Like, did you do Passover together? Yeah, probably like pretty much that one. So yeah. Do you was, remember it? Not really, but I remember <laughs> that I've been there. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and what was, did you do any Jewish things at home? Were there any Jewish things in your home? No. <laughs> You looked at I'm me. I'm from a Ukrainian you... family. <laughs> what do you think? No, um, I grew up very secularly. Yeah. Um, but however, like what was what was Jewish? Like um, always talking about, you know, my parents and their relatives, for example. Yeah. Um, Jewish jokes in Russian and Rabinovich and Ambarmovich. Yeah, Rabinovich and Moisha all the time. <laughs> and um, yeah, for me that was in, at the first it was. A feeling of, of family, I guess. Wow. That was, when I think back, I think that was my association with being Jewish, that you're part of something. Wow. Something close, you know? And, and who was it? It was, just, it was you and your parents. Did you have any other family around? Um, my parents, probably their friends who were also Ukrainian, secular Jews. Um, but also my relatives, my uncle, for example, my wow. cousin. Yeah. And did you have family who stayed in Ukraine? Actually, no. Wow. It's quite sad to say, but, um, everyone left. So I think the smallest part went to Germany. Uh-huh. The other ones went to the States, but much, much earlier than we immigrated. And I think the major part went to Israel. Wow. Did you ever visit Israel as a child? I did. That's what I was, uh. That's why I just remember <laughs> Israel. Um, first time I've been in Israel was uh, when I was a year old, actually. That uh-huh. one I don't remember anymore. But um, yeah, every few years we would go to Israel. And what was that like for you going to Israel? That was amazing because there were all those people that I've seen like once or twice and everyone would be like, oh my God, I remember when you were here and you were one year old, right? <laughs> and you're like, I don't <laughs> and remember. And I up after you, so that. <laughs> um, my mom had a lot of aunts there and wow. I don't know, I remember just in the evenings we would all gather together and on those gathering togethers we I'd, I'd have more family than i have overall in germany so that was a very very special feeling wow that's and, really and although wow. those people were like kind of i didn't really know them right i've seen them like once or twice in my life and some of them i didn't remember but we were all a family and i could feel it that that was this feeling of closeness and all the jokes about, as you mentioned, Rabinovich and Moshe. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it was just an amazing atmosphere. 
Yeah. For those of our listeners who don't come from a Russian-speaking background, there are like a series of Jewish jokes with recurring characters, Moshe and Rabinovich, and they're just sort of like foils for <laughs> getting to humor. Um, this is really, because you're saying something really profound, which is actually something I just noticed with my daughter, Hindi, when we were in the States, that like, she hasn't seen, she hadn't seen her family in a really long time, and she still intuitively understood they were family. And so I wonder, like, what is that thing that even in small children, you see relatives and you just, you feel that sense of closeness. Hmm. I feel like you're having a memory. I was, yeah, I was just trying to think how it was. I wouldn't question it when I was small, right? It was just, it was normal. Um, I grew up with thinking... I just see them like once in, in a couple of years. Yeah. And like looking back, it's, it's actually, it does make me a bit sad just knowing that, for example, my um, friends who have family here, who have grandparents yeah. here and everyone here, they see them like every day, every week, or at least a couple times a month. Wow. And I just have the feeling while like life is going on. Yeah. And, you know, we don't have enough time here. <laughs> yeah. And, their lives, like their lives are going on, but without me, kind of. Wow. Although they're my relatives, you know, so I see them just like once a year or once in two years and so much stuff happens there. Wow. So much stuff happens in my life. And, um, it's kind of like, I don't know, growing up without one another, which wow. is, if you, I mean, look at it from this perspective. <laughs> kind of sad. I didn't want to go in that direction. Yeah. No, it's okay. We'll pick it up in a second, but this is important. This is really powerful. Like, are, are you in, um, do you find yourself feeling close to them today? I do. Actually, yeah. I do. And, um, that was one of the reasons why I started going to Israel once or twice a year. Because huh. I was like, wow, I don't have enough time to see them. Never. And especially understanding this because, you know, some of my older relatives have already died. Yeah. And I'm like, and I hear all those stories of my mom growing up together with, you know, growing up with them. Where did they grow up? Um, my mom is from Bilatserko in Ukraine. <laughs> I knew the answer, but I just wanted you to say it. <laughs> oh, Bilatserko, tsene misto tsene Do you know that song? <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, there's a song about Bilatserko. I'll send it to you. <laughs> um, cool. So, which was like, a, you know, which was like a shtetl. Yeah. Almost, right. It's um, like a small, it's like a very small city, I would yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like 100,000, maybe it's 150,000 people, but all the Jews kind of knew each other. Right. And they were all living there. And my mom, she grew like she was born there, but didn't grow up there. But she went there like every few months. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's actually the feeling of, you know, family that she, how do you say that, conveyed? To yeah. Me. Wow. This like idea of everyone sort of, it, you, well, you're saying something so powerful that like we have these relatives, like my dad has the same thing. My dad grew up on a street with his grandparents and all his cousins and aunts and uncles. And there, everyone was just always in everyone's house and like one of those things. And he actually like, he still feels that even though like it's been like, you know, he left there over 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. He still feels that like sense of family with them, um, even though he's almost the only one left uh, but you know there's this there's these emotions of family that i think can really carry with us it's also really interesting because like many people feel connected to israel because they say oh i feel like when i'm there i'm with family and you literally feel no when i'm there i'm with my family yeah 
yeah, this is always my priority when I go there. Actually. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, so they uh, Una uh, Una right? Una, una um, starts a Yudhishthira Gemeinde. Mm-hmm. Um, you're maybe eight years old at the time, something like that. Nine, ten years. Yeah, old. and th- and then what happens? Like, how do you become? Because, like, spoiler alert. Lars today is like very involved Jewishly. He's up before Shadiyotis today. He's involved in a myriad of Jewish projects. He's wearing like a huge Jewish star on his chest, and like that's also because I'm you know kind of Russian, so I have to show up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, the chest there is important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like, what what happens between the Una Yudhisha Gemeinde forming and you becoming Lars? Well, first of all, I think the the development of the like Jewish uh, Yudhisha Gemeinde in Una and uh, me being kind of a part of it. Wow. And, um, were you the kid? I was the kid, yeah. yeah. We had a quite small community. <laughs> um, we had a few kids, but um, my parents were actually becoming more and more actively involved. My mom even worked for um, wow. some years in the Jewish uh, community. Although she, they all grew up secularly, right? Like my parents. Um, at some point, they like wouldn't miss any Shabbat. Wow. And... Um, First of all, of course, the thing with the Jewish community, which was something like, um, uh, it gave me, how do you say that in English? It gave me power? Or, no, 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 no. It gave me strength, probably, right? Mm-hmm. Something like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. in Russian. A what? Apora. Apora, which means like something, you know, you know that there are people. Like who, a backup. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who have your back. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, um, and on the other hand, I went to, I then went to a gymnasium, so the secondary school. Yeah. And I remember after what happened in my primary school, my mom really didn't want to, you know, me tell the other kids that I'm Jewish. Wow. And I just remember how it was very painful to keep it to myself, you know? Yeah. And, um, I think that was lasting for like one or two years, but parallelly to this, I was also participating in all the interreligious dialogue stuff in Una. And you know, Una is very small, so everyone knows yeah. uh, each other. Um, and uh, then it, it came out at some point, I wow. remember. And that was like a shock moment for me. But... Um, you came out as Jewish. <laughs> okay, oh God, that sounds so weird. Actually, no, but I think it's I powerful. Been, I had been outed by a teacher who knew that I was Jewish from all that interreligious dialogue stuff. Wow. He just didn't know that I, I, um, I didn't talk openly about it. Wow. What was that experience like when the teacher? Uh, that was, was horrible. That you was were horrible. in a class and the teacher. I was in a class, right? And um, we were standing in front of our classroom and. Uh, they were trying to find out who I was because I would say, no, I'm not Christian. I'm not Christian. Wow. And um, they were like, well, what can you be? Like, what then can you be? <laughs> then what can you be? And um, then a teacher like was just like walking by. And a friend of mine just asked him, do you know, like Lars says he's not Christian. Do you know like what, what religious group he um, is a part of? He was like, Lars is Jewish, right? <laughs> wow wow i almost like i can i see little lars just like his whole body sinking in this moment like what was your reaction i said yes yes i'm jewish like but what what why would i like 
talk about it all the time. <laughs> now I do, right? Now I yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, but you were trained. You were engendered from an early age. They made clear to you that if you are public about your Judaism, that like people are going to say things. You know, this is probably the reason why I am so public about my Judaism, why I wow. then um, started doing what I'm doing now. Yeah. Also, parallelly to this, I forgot to say it, of course, I started going, although I think that was after it, like, Mahanod and everything. Yeah, yeah. But, um... If the Tzedbeste is listening, this is about the eighth time Mahanod have been... <laughs> actually, went to the to Netzer. Ah, you went to Netzer, Shkayag. Okay, okay, now we're But talking. also, I went to, like, events from Tzedbeste and stuff, so as yeah. much as I could, you know, uh, get as much as where I could have like this Jewish group you yeah. know, that I wouldn't have in my everyday life. Wow. But I think, yeah, of course I said, okay, I'm Jewish. Right. Um, and, um, some people started like talking about it. Oh my God, he's Jewish. Not knowing what it means. Right. Uh-huh. But, um, I remember my class teacher, she, um, heard it. She noticed it. And she was like, if I hear anyone saying anything bad about Jews, like you guys are all, Wow. Like, I'm going to throw you out of the class. Wow. And they were all kind of shocked by this. And um, I'm very happy or very grateful that uh, she actually made stuff clear. Wow. She was a very good teacher. Um, what was her name? Frau Ostendorf. Frau Ostendorf. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> um, but I think, actually, you, you just mentioned it. Part of why I'm doing what I'm doing is because I was trained. You can be as Jewish as you want, but please at home. Mm-hmm. And that was always like a fight against my parents, you know, to, to wear my Star of David. Uh, I think my mom is afraid till, till this day. Wow. Um, to, to know that I'm wearing my Star of David everywhere publicly. And that was actually one of the, one of the points. You know, when I, I get a, I get a lot of comments walking around with a kippah. Um, and my favorite <laughs> comment, <laughs> my favorite comment, um, it's hard to pick, but my favorite comment is the people who go up to me. To tell me that I'm being provocative. They just kind of <laughs> um, which I think it's like a very it's a, there's something that's so German about it, you know, that it's like you're being provocative by putting this out on the street. Um, like I have no problem with what you do at home, but if you're walking around, you're asking for trouble. Um, and I think there's like a very there's something very German about that. Like just keep it at home, just keep it at home, and nothing will happen to you. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I would actually guess that this is something very Russian, you know, like growing up in like oh, the Soviet wow. Union. Um, be careful with what you're doing outside, yeah, who you're talking to. That's true, yeah, wow. But also, it's a German, but it's differently in Germany, right? It's, it's different, not, it's yeah, not because of you're scared or you know something can happen. It's just like, why would you do that somewhere else? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's also like, you know, a part of it is just the, um, how separate, like, religious life has become. It's like religious life is separate from the state and it's intertwined with the state at the same time. It's like this, this catch 22, this paradox, you know? It's like your religious life should have nothing to do with your public life and we're gonna, as the state, decide how much money your religious life gets. Right. It's uh, a very, very unique, uh, also law construction yeah. in, in, uh, in, uh, in Germany. Wow. Okay. So I, you're, you're in gymnasium. You're mm-hmm. starting to come out as Jewish. At some point you also go to the States, right? Right. That was much, much later though. Oh, okay. Um, that was, um, so when did you, so talk to me about the process of like Lars becoming, 
the cl- from the closeted Jew to the outed Jew. <laughs> I don't think I was ever that closeted, right? Yeah. Um, but um, there were those one or two years in secondary school. Um, so by the age of 12, I started going to Mahanot, right? Uh-huh. Because um, from our Jewish community, they also organized, you know, a couple kids going to the Netza Mahanot. And that was a whole new experience. Imagine... I was always the only Jew in class. Yeah. There were some other Jews in my school that I knew of, but they would always strictly hide it. Wow. Completely. So I was always the only Jew, which actually pissed me off at some point later. Wow. Um, but yeah, I started going to Mahanot and I don't know, this gave, gave me a lot of strength and I just knew who I was and I knew I was not alone. Wow. Wow. And did you like, um, were you closer with your friends from Mahanot or your friends from Gehazi? Yes, I still am probably today to like closer to most of them than I was to my school friends. Wow. Wow. Okay. And, and so like you're, you're going to the Mahanot, you become like a madrich at the Mahanot. Like what's your, what's your trajectory? So at first, of course, I was like just a yeah, yeah. and uh, I was just so surprised because many kids went there already starting at the age of seven or eight. And I came there quite late, right? I was like 12 or 13. But yeah. still, after the first Mahane, I was one of them. Wow. I was part of the group already, you know? Um, that was just, that was just fantastic. It's amazing. You know, you're smiling. There's this yeah, like big grin I, on your I just, face. Yeah, all the memories <laughs> coming up right now. Okay, cool. And, and at what age did you go to the States? How old were you? I was, uh, I, I was 16. Yeah. Wow. And what was that? Did, did you have Jewish experiences in the States? Yes. And oh my God, that was a whole new experience. So that was a very weird story, actually. Um, so there was this program called Congress Bundestag, um, like exchange, high school exchange. And I applied and I actually was one of the people chosen to go to the States for a year. And, um, you know, in order, like trying to not be placed somewhere in a village in Kansas, for example. I was like, be smart. So I added that I need a synagogue. I nice. definitely need a synagogue, right? Wow. And then they called me at some point, like, to find a host family. Yeah. And they're like, good news. We found you a host family um, in Texas. It's a Messianic Jewish rabbi family. Nope. <laughs> Uh, However, um, that didn't work out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> did you explain to them why that wasn't going to work? Yeah, I did explain okay. it to them. They didn't understand at first. They were yeah. kind of a bit like uh, mad. Let's yeah. Put it that way. <laughs> so they I'm were laughing because like, it's just a, it's such a German response. It's like, but we found you something. Like yeah, this should work for yeah, you. You should be happy with what you have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so uh, then they were like, you know what? There was a Jewish local coordinator, an older woman. I love her. <laughs> um, let him be her problem. So um, I basically am arriving in the States, not having a host family. Wow. You can imagine my parents, right? Like almost suffering a heart attack from this. Yeah. Being like, where is my kid going? Uh, and then I get picked up at the airport from this uh, nice elderly Jewish lady. What was um, her name? Ronnie. Uh. Ronnie. <laughs> She had a, like, very, very bad, very strong Rhode Island accent. Boy, <laughs> jacket. Yeah, 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 pretty much. It's waffle. <laughs> and first thing she said was, 
I'm a Ukrainian Jewish woman. Like, you're safe here. <laughs> and I knew I'm safe here. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> and uh, then uh, she she actually told me at some point, like, Lars, um, they couldn't find a host family for you um, because they were thinking you would desperately need a Jewish family, which I didn't. But um, so they were like, she's a Jewish local coordinator. We're just going to place him with her and she can deal with it, you know. And she found me an amazing not Jewish host family, but uh, I'm still very, very close with them wow. till this day. But actually, you know, the, the first thing we did after she picked me up from the airport was to drop my things off at her apartment, mm. at her house. And then we went straight to the temple. Wow. She was like, everyone at the temple already knows that a Jewish kid from Germany has arrived today. <laughs> And everyone knew me, and wow. like I, I, I arrived, and they were all, everyone was like, "Oh, you must be Lars." Ronnie told us about you. Wow, that's beautiful. <laughs> and that is actually that was one of the strongest feelings when you when you asked me how was your like Jewish journey. Yeah. I remember this moment how we arrived there, and everybody knew I'm the Jewish kid from Germany. Yeah, they were family. They were family. And actually, I went to the temple quite often afterwards. I even gave a concert there at some point. Ah, cool. Wow. Uh, with the uh, Jewish music. And um, that was just so amazing. Like, imagine I'm like, I'm in the other part of this world. And still there is, you know, there is this community. And I don't have to explain myself or, you know, um, I don't have to try integrating there. I am already a part of them. Wow. Ah. Right? That's a f an incredible statement. I don't have to try to integrate because it's also this word integrate is such like a, it's such a German term. I just wanted to say, yeah. I, I don't think I ever made, like said this word in English. But, but are you integrating into <laughs> society? Um, and, and it's, and you're like, no, here I, there I didn't have to integrate, which is amazing because it's not like it was just a place with warm, friendly people who were happy to see you and accepted you as you were. Yeah. In fact, they loved you as you were. They didn't just accept you. They were like, oh, Lars from Germany. That's amazing. Like, we're so... And it's also like Lars from Germany. It's not the most typical Rhode Island Jewish um, identity. Not. However, um, you're mentioning this. Um, I once gave like a presentation, I think, at the table, at the, at the temple about what it means to be Jewish in Germany. Um, wow. Suddenly, I heard there was a, an, a, like, an old woman who would, in a very thick accent, say something about it and being like, I can't imagine it's like this in Germany right now. And then I started talking to her. And at first, of course, in the presentation, I mentioned, I'm Lars. I grew up in, uh, in Ona, which is in, in yeah. like, you know. And then she came up to me with a very, and then I realized she has a very, very thick German wow. uh, accent. And she actually was from Kreis Una. Wow. She, and this is in Barrington, a city of 16,000 inhabitants in Rhode Island, United wow. States. And she was like, yeah, I, I lived like in the, in the neighboring back then village of Una. Next wow. to Una. And, um, I was very new, so it was still a bit hard for me to speak in English all the time. She switched to German with me and now I realize, oh my God, what a step, what a step that was. She was like, I'm she sorry. She may not my, have spoken German. My German years. is a bit rusty. I haven't like used it in 70 years. Wow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was probably what a powerful the experience. And by the way, experience. that was probably really emotional for her too. I think so. Yeah. Because I was like, see, there is a big Jewish community in Germany now. Yeah. And just allowing her to sort of digest that, you know, 
um, and that she lives so long to see the various turning points of history, you know, and how the world changes mm-hmm. um, must have been so powerful for her. It was, um, but I wasn't quite sure if she um, was that making her happy, like, or the, yeah. the, the message of like, you know, there are Jews, Jews returned to Germany. Right. If that made her happy or actually uh, if she was, uh, you know, standing by the point that Jews should never go back to Germany. It's so interesting because especially like, um, I think about this a lot because in the, in the early 50s, Jacob Blaustein, who was the head of the American Jewish Committee, mm-hmm. um, basically said, um, any Jew who remains in Germany is a traitor. You know, this was like the official sort of viewpoint of both the, Amer- of the, of the American Jewish establishment and also the early Israeli establishment. It was like, if you remain in Germany, you're a traitor. Yeah. And, and today, there's like nowhere sexier to put your money if you're a rich American Jew or an Israeli <laughs> Jew than like Jewish life in Germany. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, as Jews, we have habits of telling other Jews how they should wear and how they should be living. <laughs> so, um, cool. How did you find the Yoda Sudeh? How did you get to the Yoda Sudeh? Actually, that was the point. I think I, I so I moved to Berlin by the age of 19, cool. 2016. It was, and um, I just finished high school, right? And uh, I was starting my studies here. You know, back in those days, right? actually, I felt like there was, there, there was like Machane and your Madrid for some years, for a couple of years, and then it stops. And then there's nothing for like, you know, Jewish people who would be students who, or young professionals. Like there was a big, big gap between this and, you know, actually then having a family going to synagogue again so that happened to me when i when i uh, arrived in berlin um i was in madrid still a bit for uh, quite some time and um just at that moment the jewish student union of germany was founded yeah it was the end of 2016 and uh, i remember like the year after um they had a big big project or a big big seminar um, JSAD goes, uh, European Union Brussels seminar, where, um, they meet with, uh, politicians from the European Union parliament and everything. Um, and I decided to participate. Wow. Uh, and so I went and I was, I was amazed wow. because this was the first time I experienced, you know, Jewishness and, or like being active in a Jewish way, but also in a political way. And that combined, that was amazing, right? Wow. Because I'm also a very, very, I don't know how to say that, po- like politically interested person. Yeah. And um, so I started an internship at the at the Yota Sude. And um, yeah, I just participated in a lot of programs. And two years later, I decided, you know what, why not give it a try and uh, run for board members. Wow, that's awesome. And what do you want to do? As a member of the Vorstand of the Yodus Sudan, uh, what is important to me is first of all like self empowerment of young Jewish people, mm. like to get politically involved. It doesn't matter which party it is. It doesn't matter which um, social organization it is. Just get active, do something. Yeah. And um, the second thing is to help changing a little bit the narrative about Jewish life in Germany, mm. which how it is perceived in, in, in German society, right? It's always associated with the Shoah, the Israel-Palestinian conflict, and anti-Semitism. 
And this is not, I would say, this is not how we, especially the young Jewish generation, want to define it, yeah. de- define ourselves. Yeah. Wow. That's really, <laughs> it's funny because uh, uh, I think I was raised with similar pillars <laughs> of Judaism. Me too, actually. Yeah. Me too, because all my parents knew was like the anti-Semitism experience in the, in the Soviet Union and this awkwardness when one would try to talk about, you know, the Shoah. Back, like there in the, in the in the in the union. How do we change the narrative? Definitely by you know getting into a dialogue. I'd say with the with the overall society. Mm, cool. And trying just to present ourselves the way we are, not trying to you know play a role or something, and um, but just presenting who we are. For example, we have a big project. Um, we were planning actually to uh, conduct it every year, but you know, Corona was in the way. It's called the Jewish Campus Week. No, no, I was sorry. I was just like, yeah, go. <laughs> Where um, just young Jewish activists on like you know several campuses in in, in of German um, universities uh, for a week just you know do programs about what it means for them to be Jewish. And it can be anything, right? It can be a game, it can be a quiz, it can be a movie night, it can just be, a, you know, like an information stand, I think it's called stand, yeah. right? um, where you have flyers and talk about what it means to be Jewish. Because most people don't know what it is, what it means to be Jewish in Germany. Yeah. And um, all they think about is, uh, th- and that is also, of course, uh, German media is uh, playing a big role in this, yeah. is anti-Semitism, Shoah, and, um, you know, the Middle Eastern conflict. And just present yourself the way you are. Yeah. And show it publicly. You know, I remember we one time had a, uh, a film crew in our apartment who they wanted, and they, they kept saying to us, we just want to see how you prepare for a Friday night dinner. That's it. And I was like, okay, that sounds fine. Like, we'll show you what we do to like get ready. This is a part of our life. So we were like, <laughs> I was like, I was like cooking. I was like washing fish because we were like having fish. Um, and they're like, wait, 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 can we put the candles in the background of the shot? <laughs> and like, could you like them? <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is it. We kicked them out of our apartment. Actually, we ended up kicking them out. Because we're like, this is, you're not, like, you're not here for us. Completely. You're here yeah. to, like, play Schindler's list music in the background yeah, yeah, while we light yeah. the Shabbat candles. Yeah. Um, wow. And that's actually the thing. I remember one of the first things we did as the Yalta Sudi, we gave a big interview to one of the German um, TV channels about actually, you know, the perception of Jewish life in Germany and how it's always just associated with those three negative things I just mentioned um, and how people don't have enough, are not sensibilized enough to actually understand what that means, you yeah. know, and how this is actually being quite annoying after some time. And they were like, so understanding, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, we get it totally and stuff. And then they were like, oh my God, that was such an amazing interview. Like, we'd like to invite you for a live show um, on like TV, a live broadcast. Um, it's at 11 a.m. or something on Saturday. <laughs> you know, we talked for an hour how like, you know, you don't have to wish every Jewish person Shabbat Shalom, but you should know, you should be aware that there might be something like a Shabbat that not everyone is, you know, going yeah. to church on Sunday um, and all of that. And they just come up like after this interview, wow. being like, you're happily invited. It's on Saturday. It's live broadcast. Oh, we can't postpone it. Sorry, but maybe <laughs> you can, you know, just come. Wow. <laughs> of course, we ended up saying no. Yeah. Good for you. 
Good for um, you. I think it's important to say no. Yeah. Definitely. Because a part of changing that narrative is not just doing what they want you to do, not being who they want you to be. Um, and this is also like a part of the Lars narrative, which is you becoming who you are in your full self in every space. Yeah. You know, rather than like having to compartmentalize, I'm this at home, I'm this in the Yiddish mind of Ona, and I'm this in the gymnasium. Um, it's like rather, no, I'm going to bring my full Lars um, in all my glory to everything. <laughs> uh, if you want it or not. <laughs> <laughs> um, Lars, I think you brought a piece of Torah to teach us. Um, well, I don't know if that is exactly a piece of Torah. It's a piece of Torah. I don't know what it is. But <laughs> I brought my book. Yeah. Something <laughs> um, with uh, Yiddish lyrics of songs that I um, used to sing when I was growing up and wow. sing until this day. So I haven't mentioned it, but um, of course I grew up like, you know, a good Ukrainian Jewish kid with uh, piano lessons. And, <laughs> um, but I always loved to, to sing actually. So wow. um, I started singing at some point also like with a teacher, with a vocal teacher. And um, before Corona, I actually used to give uh, quite a few concerts at like Jewish synagogues, Jewish places. Wow. Um, because, and this might, you know, annoy some people or I can literally see people rolling their eyes now. <laughs> I love klezmer music. Wow. <laughs> and yeah, so these are some of the lyrics, some of the notes. I, I have um, to ask you, would you sing a song for us? It can be sure. Short. Yeah. <laughs> um, right now? Yeah. Oi, oi, bells. Mein Städtele bells. Mein Heimale dort, wo ich hab meine Kinder schön verbracht. Seht ihr am Morgen in der Welt, mein Städtele Welt, mein Heimale dort, wo ich hab meine Kinder schön verbracht. Wow. Um, wow. Sorry, it's very in the morning, you know. Yeah, that, we don't apologize. That was awesome. Um, wow. Can you tell us what that song means? That song is called Belts. It's yeah. about, um, yeah, a memory actually of a shtetl called Belts. Belts, yeah, I've been there. Right. Belts, and yeah. <laughs> There's a concentration yeah. camp there. <laughs> There's also a Hasidic group that's from there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, I th they could never, like, it's up until this day not clear what be which one of the belts ah, is wow, actually meant cool. because there is a belt in Galicia nowadays yeah. and there was a belt in Moldavia Moldo ah, Moldova. wow so um, and both of them were shtetls and, and it's a song about memories about it's nostalgia song about remembering this um, this shtetl called belts you know with, wow. with uh, growing up there with friends and family and all the buildings it's awesome nature, and and wondering if if anything is still there it's actually a very sad song yeah but it's sad but it's also happy like because it, first off it's so you it's so you <laughs> because you're like you have memories of Bila Tserkva even though you've never lived there you've never, never even been, been there no it's all yeah. you were so close and you never you just went to Kiev and just, you, yeah yeah but you've never been there but yet you have memories of it I, I can't picture it yeah 
which is amazing. And I think I felt that in this song. I had memories in that song of a place I never knew. And I think there's something like deeply Jewish about that idea about like we were, it's the Seder, you know, in the Seder, yeah, yeah. we're telling a story and we say, we have to see ourselves as if we ourselves left Egypt, which is crazy because it wasn't me, Yeah, <laughs> but I'm, I'm commanded to imagine myself there. And there's something also, I think about the shtetl there that it's like, we feel obligated to remember ourselves there, even if we never knew it. Yeah, that's a quite powerful connection, actually. Yeah. And this sense of belonging, this sense of like, we're waiting for you, Lars. Like, oh, you're the Lars we've been waiting for. You know, like, um, do you ever watch The Sopranos? Doesn't matter. It's an American TV show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's an American TV show about the mafia. That's not the important part. But there's this there's a series of episodes where one of the main characters, he's dying and like he's in a coma. And as he's like at the edge of the coma, he comes to a house. And in his house, um uh his cousin who's died says to him, Your whole family's in there waiting for you. And there's just a big house with Italian music playing and all that they're Italian. Mm-hmm. And I sort of like that scene struck me because it's like that's sort of what I imagine. You know, that like somewhere there's a house and my whole family is sitting in that house singing about the shtetl of bells or something like that mm-hmm. and laughing about old times and playing cards and smoking cigars and like Eating chopped liver and like <laughs> all this stuff. Chopped liver. <laughs> Sorry, I'm back. <laughs> um, but I think it's really beautiful. It's a song about memory. You know, actually, why I brought this book or this um, Zamlung, I don't know, yeah. collection, um, is because I think this was also one of the parts that actually connected me to Judaism. Wow. Through songs, I got connected to it through those Yiddish songs. Wow. Um, because I remember my grandmother, she used to speak Yiddish. Wow. Of course, my parents did not. Um, and I didn't, but I always understood it because, you know, I grew up knowing German and it's just such a, I don't know, it's just such a special language. And I feel like, especially in our inner Jewish community nowadays, like I see so many like people rolling their eyes being like, Oh my God, Klezmer, this is all so kitschy and stable and stuff. But to all of these people, I would like to ask, do you actually know what that means? What do you know about shtetls? What do you know about klezmer? What do you know about those lyrics? Because those lyrics, as you just put it in very nice words, they all tell a story. Yeah. And those are stories based on real life. How many of those shtetls, right? You know, there is not a single shtetl actually really left, right? Yeah. Um, how many of those stories actually happened, you know, with people coming back to places they grew up in and everything's gone. So my, I feel like my shtetl of bells, it's probably about every shtetl. Yeah. And also all the songs, like the song, my, my Yiddish mama, it explains, you know, this relationship, yeah, this about, mama. right. About like, you know, the Jewish mom and her son and you can feel it in those songs. Yeah. Right. Because I'm singing, you know, when I hear that song, like, I'm thinking a little bit about my mother, but more than that, I'm thinking of, like, my great-grandmother, you know, like, who I never knew. And, like, I imagine that this was just what it was like. Yeah, yeah. So they all tell, like, real-life stories, and you want to understand how people live there, or you want to try to get, like, let's say, a different perspective on it, like, then actually, like, you know, 
um, get in, like get involved in those songs, right? Wow. Um, deal with them. Try to understand what they mean. You know, I love it. We there, I say a thing a lot because you know, uh, with the Talmud and Torah and stuff like that, I always say, get inside the text. You know? Yeah. Oh my God. Get that inside was, the that text. That was what I was trying to, to, to say in English. And you're saying that with Yiddish music. Get inside the text. Like, okay, yes, there is kitschy klezmer, but that's not what this is. But that's what it's made of here. Yeah. Okay? Not made of, but that's what what it's um what they've made, made of to. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah what yeah. they've made of it. Yeah. It's the same problem you're talking about, where it's like they're assuming, you know, the greater society is assuming Jewish life is one thing, and that klezmer is one thing. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, no, read the words. Listen to it. Do you hear what they're saying? They're singing about your past. They are. They are about like yeah, about like every family, Jewish family's past, like in in Ukraine. Yeah, Ashkenazi. Like, Ashkenazi. Yeah, I just yeah, wanted yeah. to say we have to narrow it down, of yeah, course, yeah, like yeah. you know, to the, the Ashke, uh, Ashkenazi narrative yeah. right now. But um, yeah. Wow, that's so powerful. Thank you for bringing that. <laughs> Like, really, that was beautiful. And, uh, I'm sure our listeners will agree. And this might be the only recording of Lars singing Yiddish music out there. <laughs> so this is going to be a hot seller. Um, Lars, thank you much, so much for joining us today. Is there anything you want to add before we go? I think, um, first of all, thank you so much for having me here. And to like the listeners, I would, um, just say, I feel like, in Germany, we're really at a turning point right now where, um, you know, the narrative has to change about how Jewish life is perceived. And I feel like no matter, like, you know, who you are, um, what your Judaism is like, show it. Like, or make people understand that Judaism is super diverse and it comes in different, how do you say that, shades? Yeah, like, shades, ways, shades, ways, yeah. right? And that everything is right. Amen. That's a beautiful blessing. Thank you for Thank bestowing you. that blessing, that prayer upon us. And uh, to all of you who are listening out there, be yourselves, be who you are, and show everybody who that is. Lars, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, Thank you so much for having me. Yes, yeah, our pleasure. That's it for another episode of Torah Curious. Torah Curious is a proud podcast based Berlin, Hillel Deutschland. Huge thanks goes out to Lars Umansky for joining us. Special thanks, as always, goes out to Rabbi Rebecca Blaney, Valentin Lutzek for the cover art, Alex Segura and Takias Uzawa for the good music, Marcel Wegner, our sound mixer extraordinaire, John Earl for being the center of our nostalgia. And as always, thanks to our friend in the Bay who made this all possible. Stay tuned for another episode of Tour Curious, the season finale, set to drop in three weeks. In the meantime, keep learning and stay curious.